where two or more are gathered, he, he comes in a unique and special way. And uh, we have the privilege to walk in a one-on-one individual relationship with God throughout the week and, and every, each and every day. And then we have these unique moments where we get to gather together uh, as his people. And it's fun the, the way he meets with us when we're together. He does something special uh, when, that, when the family gets together. So I'm super encouraged. Again, my name's Chris. Um, super just excited, thankful to be here today. Um, and speaking about encouragement, I just want to start off with a couple of testimonies today because it is so easy. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? It is so easy to get discouraged and stay discouraged in, in our day right now, right? So, it, it, but most of the time, that's just because we've been consuming or consulting the wrong news feed, all right? This is why being a part of the local church where God is moving and doing things is so critical to your encouragement because it rescues you from the lie that there's only bad news out there right now, all right? Now, this is actually really critical because what we magnify multiplies, right, church? Say that with me. What we magnify multiplies, And so if all you're looking at and consuming and magnifying all day long is the bad news, then you're going to multiply some things in your life as a result of that constant feed of bad news that maybe some of you have brought in with you today. Some heaviness, some discouragement, some despair, right? But when we, in the midst of the hard things that are going on that are very real, do you know, church, that God is moving? God is not just moving on an amazing global scale. He is moving on a very personal, one-on-one, intimate scale. I just want to share a couple of stories with you to rescue you from the news feed of discouragement. All right? So I want to tell you about this sweet gal that we met uh, just probably the week after Thanksgiving. Okay? She was sitting out here on the sidewalk. Uh, the homeless, sweet lady. Her name is Rainy. And she was sitting out here uh, when we're getting ready for church on a Sunday afternoon. God had her literally sitting on our doorstep. A few people in our church just sat with her, talked to her, ministered to her. People start bringing her food. We're just kind of loving on this gal. She's just there. It's, well, Jesus loves us. And so when we see somebody in need, you, you love them. You know? And, yeah. and she was so touched and so moved that she came in to church that a couple hours later. You know? She joined us for the service. She Never, you know, it had been years since she had stepped foot inside of a space like that. God met with her so powerfully that night. A few of us were able to put her up in a hotel that night. She'd been on the street for 16 weeks, hadn't slept in a bed or in a, in a warm room for 16 weeks. And the next morning, she wakes up and decides to check herself into a women's rehab facility where she is still to this day. God is working in her life. She is on fire for the Lord. We just found out this week that she wants to get baptized and learn about that. God is moving. I got to go skiing last week with an amazing crew of our young adults. Had a blast up at Brighton. It just kind of all came together. There were about six or eight of us that were skiing. And I got to hang out with this young lady and hear some of her incredible story. And she grew up Catholic and it sounded like with a pretty healthy family and a pretty great foundation. But she moved to Salt Lake a couple years ago and started dating the guy, handsome fella, that goes to church here. And he invited her. She'd never been to a church quite like Antioch. And she was just sharing some of her story. I asked her permission to share some of this. I said, tell me, what's something that's, that has just challenged you or, or changed your life since being here? She goes, oh my gosh, watching people it's being in a place where people are freely worshiping God. She goes, I've never been in a room like that in my life. And in the last 
almost a year, I think, of kind of being at Annex. She goes, it has just changed my life. It has unlocked something in my ability to praise God. And she just was gushing with what God's doing in her life through being a part of a place where Jesus is worshipped, right? I, uh, there's some amazing friends, uh, that some new friends, Dorlina and I, we met through our kids' school just uh, right around Thanksgiving, okay? Incredible family, incredible couple. Now, they have a radical story of meeting God that they're going to share with you one time. Okay? At some point, you're going to hear. But God is moving. We became friends with them. They were looking for a church that was alive, going after Jesus. And so they come here on a couple Sundays. They start coming to our life group. And, and the Bible says this in Psalm 68. That God sets the lonely in families. And we've got to watch this amazing family be placed into our church family. And God is moving in their lives so powerfully. And I want to share this specific thing. After life group last week, she says to me, she, uh, I think she had missed church for a Sunday. There was just holiday stuff going on. And she was like so bummed. She goes, it's, I, I, just, I hate having to miss church. Because every time I'm in that room and I'm with God's people, and God is there with us. She's like, it's just like my lamp gets completely refilled. And what I, how I experience my week and what happens as I go into my week is it's, it just transforms my week when I get to gather with God's people and be in his presence. And I just want to share a couple of testimonies because, um, look, like the, the bad news is out there. I get it. We are living in some tough times and it, the bad news is, is real. The hard stuff is real. We've had some really hard stuff in our family. So I'm not saying, oh, just you know, turn a blind eye to the struggle. I'm just saying, in the midst of the struggle, God is moving and he is meeting people and lives are being saved, healed, delivered, transformed in more ways than we are aware. And what we choose to focus on in this season will determine whether we get on board with the move of God that is happening right now, or if we stay sinking in the muck of in mire of the hard things that are also happening. Are you with me? So, church, be encouraged. Here's the last thing I want to say. Some of you are desperately looking for your purpose in life right now and are trying to figure out, maybe that's why you came here. You're desperately looking, and let me just say it very, very plainly, okay? Your purpose in life is to know God and to be a part of a community where those stories are normal. Yeah. That is your purpose in life. Yeah. Nothing else in life outside of being a part of the kingdom of God and the family of God where heaven is coming to earth and people's lives are getting changed regularly, nothing will satisfy. Your life is not about your future spouse, your family, your career, whatever else. It is about being a part of knowing God and seeing his kingdom come. And so if you're saying, man, I need to plug into that, I want you to know that we would love for you to find a place here to plug your life's purpose in to the life change that is happening in and around this community. It takes an army of people to make this thing happen week in and week out, from worship to kids' ministry to set up and tear down. There's all kinds of stuff. But here's the thing. People come not because we need them to serve, not because they're obligated to come and volunteer here, but because they know that God is doing something special and he's changing people's lives and they want to be a part of it. And so, Kelly, where are you? Okay, stand up right here real quick, Kelly. Woo! Kelly coordinates our teams. All of our teams that make this family run and spin week in, week out. She's going to be right over there at that table that says new here. And 
if you are looking for a place to plug in your purpose to the life change that is happening, be a part of God's kingdom, I want you to go see Kelly after the service because we got a place for you. We'd love for you to jump in. This thing gets you set up, Kelly. You're amazing. Thing. This thing gets exponentially more fun, more exciting, and more powerful when you're not showing up to observe it from a distance, but when you're a part of pushing the thing forward. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. So, all right. I am really pumped to continue uh, the message that I started last week. So this is part two. Don't worry, you're going to get a little recap if you weren't here last week. But I encourage you, hop online, listen to part one at some point. Because who was here last week? Wave a hand at me. Get it. Was it not special in the room? God did something unique in this place last week. Um, we took communion together. But I, I, I kicked off a, um, a message uh, as, as our team has been praying through 2022. Uh, we heard the, we, we feel like we've heard the Lord giving us like some direction and speaking to us uh, that it's a year to get the bride ready. And in the scripture, we see one of God's favorite analogies to uh, put flesh and bones onto our relationship, his people's relationship with him, is that of a bride and him as the groom. And so I kicked that off last week. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week um, in and just dive deeper into uh, how do we as a community respond to this invitation in 2022 to this year church family. What does that mean for us to, to ready the bride? So, hey, do I have some parents in the room? Any parents? Raise your hand. Kids are amazing, right? Kids are amazing, right? Okay, we have five, um, which means that we're like constantly laughing and about something and crying about something. And oftentimes in the same breath. You know, it's like they're so cute. Kids are so joyful. You know, just the wonder, the delight, the curiosity, the cuteness of kids. It's amazing, right? But then you turn around and the uh, the immaturity, right? The, the the emotions, you know, the the, the selfishness, it's just a little bit sometimes, right? Sometimes kids can be a, a little bit unreasonable, you know. It's like they're they're so amazing, and yet so it can be so challenging in the same breath. And one of the uh, one of the joys, sorry guys, I'm trying to adjust this thing a little bit here. One of the joys, and I say this sarcastically of parenthood is um, the daily dinner routine. Moms, can I get an amen, okay? Moms, you're about to get ministered to here in a moment. Just just get ready, okay? You plan a meal, right? You purchase the ingredients for a meal, right? You work in the kitchen to prepare the meal, right? And then you literally present the meal before your offspring, literally on a silver platter that they had to do nothing for, right? And then they proceed to look at this meal and uh, complain, whine, and sometimes flat out just refuse to partake of the provision that you have set right before them. Right? It is one of uh, it is one of the deep frustrations of being a parent. Now, inevitably, they will reap the consequences of rejecting your provision, right? And they will return within hours as the hunger pains start to get them, right? At which point, they will want to eat something else, right? (laughs) 
they will not want to eat the now cold plate of food that you prepared for them two hours ago. Okay? S stay with me. Okay? No, no. They want something else. And their hunger, the need that they're feeling, seems to justify their furious demand for an apple or a banana or a cookie or something else. Moms, can I get an amen? That wasn't on the menu for you tonight, all right? Are you with me? Now, this must have been how God felt after the Garden of Eden. He says, every tree of the garden I have given to you, they are all good for food. They are all good for your provision, your sustenance, and your life. But this one right over here, I'm testing your heart and saying, this one's not on the menu for you. It must have been how God felt in the garden when instead of Adam and Eve filling themselves on what God had provided, they hungered for the one thing that was off of it. Do you know that they never would have even had the hunger for that one tree had they been filling themselves with what God had provided? It must have been how God felt several hundred years later after he delivered the Israelites from their bondage in Egypt. You know this story? They were in slavery for 400 years in captivity. God leads them out. Miraculous signs and wonders. He parts the Red Sea. He drowns the Egyptian army as they come to try to pull them back into captivity, right? He begins to daily rain down manna on them from heaven. Now, wait, wait. Lest you think this was some crusty, stale, weird bread that they just had to force down day after day. Church, listen to me. Psalm 75, verse 28. Look it up. Don't just take my word for it. Literally says that manna is the bread of angels. So in the wilderness, he's raining down on them daily the bread of angels. Can I just say, if it was good enough for the angels, it should have been good enough for them, right? But instead of filling themselves daily on what God was providing. Do you remember this? They start grumbling about the meat pots they used to have in Egypt. And because they weren't filling themselves on what was theirs, they started to hunger for something God had freed them from in their past. And in their hearts, the word of God says they turned back. Their hearts turned back to a place of bondage. My friends, I came to encourage us tonight as we continue to dive into this word of readying the bride. Last week I said that there were three things, three truths that we need to know about the bride. Number one, she is wildly loved by God. And the wild love of God showed up in this room last week. It was powerful. She's wildly loved by God. She's brought into a covenant with him and is made new. Covenant changes you. Married couples, can I get an amen? amen? Marriage covenant changes you. But the third thing I said last week is that every covenant will be tested. And that the testing of the covenant is both normal, husbands, take a deep breath, and necessary. It is actually 
in the presence of the testing of other options that my covenant goes deep with the one that I'm committed to. Every covenant is tested. So what I came tonight to equip us in is how to guard our covenant with the Lord by guarding our hearts. And we guard our hearts, back to the garden, by guarding our hunger. Look, if you are feasting and filling the hunger of your heart with what God has provided, you are actually going to be put yourself in a guarded position then when the liar comes to try to tempt you outside of your covenant with God into something that's off limits. You're already going to be full. You know what I'm saying? So tonight, guys, I want us to learn how to direct, somebody say direct. Direct Direct the hunger of your heart into the places God has provided and protect, somebody say protect. Protect the hunger of your heart from the things he's declared off limits. That the Lord is good. Now check this out. The next part says this. Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. There is an amazing relationship between how we guard our hearts and how we guard our covenant with the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, come tonight and teach us. Equip us, equip us, Lord. Breathe on your word. We talked last week about the written logos word of God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe on it. You would move and it would become your rama spoken word, living and active. We invite the sword of your Holy Spirit, which is your word, to come tonight and do business in our hearts, to pierce places in our hearts that need piercing, and to build us up and to encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you tonight about guarding your covenant by learning to guard your heart. I said every covenant will be tested and there will be temptation that comes at every single covenant. My goal today is to equip us to pass the testing, to reject the temptation, and to win the battle that is raging for your hearts. Anybody anybody ever felt that battle raging? Can we just be honest for a second? I said to you, the testing of every covenant is normal. Does that encourage you in the room? I want you to look around. Look, look, every single person in this room, whether you are married and we're talking about your actual marriage to your spouse sitting next to you, or we're talking about a covenant with the Lord that we make when we receive the cup of communion into a relationship with God, every covenant is tested. You are not alone. You might think, I'm, I'm the only person in the world that gets this temptation. No, you're not. You might think, I'm the only person in the world that struggles with this thought about my marriage. No, you're not. Your temptation, we're going to read here in a little, it says, no temptation has come upon you but that which is common to man. Say, my temptations are common. I am not that special. Okay, look around this room. Every single person in this room, you will be tested, you will be tried, you will be tempted. But i got to lay some groundwork for the biblical Uh, understanding of testing and temptation. Because if we understand some of these things, I really believe that we can partner with this ready the bride word and that we can both personally and as a family ready ourselves to go into a new year and guard our hearts for the Lord alone. How many of you want to make it to the end loving Jesus well? 
How many of you want to make it to the end of your life faithful to the one? How many of you know and have felt there are so many other lovers, so many testing opportunities and tempting voices out there and in here that are coming after your heart for the Lord? How many of you want to guard your heart for the one? Tonight, I want to, I want to equip us, church. To pass the test. Do you know what the number one threat to a healthy marriage is? The number one threat to a healthy marriage is infidelity. Things get hard because true love is a costly commitment. And one partner begins to wrestle with the temptation to look outside of the covenant relationship to have his or her needs met. This always starts in the mind, and then it makes its way outward into real temptation. The tragic end result often being an adulterous affair where the covenant is transgressed and the first love is betrayed. Infidelity is the number one threat to marriage. Do you know, church, what the number one threat and problem is for God's people throughout biblical history? Infidelity. Things get hard. Because true love is a costly commitment. And we begin to wrestle with the temptation to look outside of our covenant relationship with God to have our needs met by lesser lovers. This always starts in the mind and then makes its way outward into real temptation. The tragic end result often being a spiritual affair where the covenant is transgressed and the first love is betrayed. Maybe you're here today, and this is your first time at church in a while. Maybe you're here today, and you are just seeking and exploring. Maybe God is real. Maybe he does love me, and there's something that he has to say to my life. Maybe you're here seeking. If you're here seeking, praise God. I'm so glad you're here. But many of you are here, and you made your choice to follow Jesus. And you have looked upon him and decided that he's real, true, and trustworthy. And, and I want to speak to you today about guarding your covenant with the Lord and keeping your heart fully for him and him, him alone. Are you with me? Any football fans in the room? Any uh, University of Utah students in the room? Guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. If you didn't know, Utah played in a huge football game a couple weeks ago. It was incredible. I didn't watch it, but I got the download, okay? And, and they just fell shy at the last minute by a few points of winning the Rose Bowl, okay? I get them all mixed up. I'm really sorry. I love you guys. I'm a, you know, I'm, by, by proxy, I was rooting for the U. I'm really sorry. But in the game of football, every great football team has two things in common. They've learned how to play both offense and defense. And every great marriage is the same. You learn how to play offense and defense. You see, you don't just learn how to play offense and never prepare to stop the enemy, right? And you don't just play defense and work really hard at stopping the enemy and never learn how to gain ground playing offense. To win the battle, you've got to learn how to do both. In my marriage, I have found that the best defense is actually a good offense, okay? And that when, when I'm prioritizing my pursuit with my wife, Arlena, when we're connected, when we're spending time together, when we're investing in our covenant, 
temptation is minimal. And when it does come, it's not very enticing. All right? And this is also true with the Lord. I want you to go back to the garden. When you are prioritizing your covenant with God, you are daily enjoying the trees of the garden that he has made available for you in the Lord as his son or as his Investing all semester long. Next week, we are kicking off an eight-week series. We're going through the book of Ephesians, okay? We're going paragraph by paragraph because Ephesians was the church in the book of Revelation that had endured patiently, had clung to the truth, but there was one thing that God had against Ephesians, and it was that they had, they had forgotten their first love. And so we don't want that to be us, right? Amen? We don't want to do that. So I'm just guessing that maybe the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church has some amazing nuggets in us, for us, as a people of God, of how to stay our hearts on our first love. So that's where we're going. We're going to be talking about playing offense. But tonight, defense wins championships, y'all. Defense, come on, dudes. I got to get a little more than that. Tonight... We're talking about defense because Proverbs 4, 23 says this. Keep your heart, look at this, with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Look at the NIV. It says, above all else, say it with me, church, guard your heart. Guard your heart. We're talking about guarding our covenant with the Lord by guarding the hunger of our hearts. This word, keep and guard, is a defensive word. It's the Hebrew word, natser, okay? And it means to guard, to watch over, to preserve, to guard from dangers. It means to keep, to observe, to guard with fidelity. It means to set up a blockade. It's also the Hebrew word used in the Old Testament for watchmen. The watchmen would be set up on a wall through the night shift, and their job was to watch. And what were they watching for? Attacks from the enemy. We are called, and I want to tell you, church, I want to tell each of us, it is your job to guard your heart. It is your job to guard your heart for the Lord. It is not your mom or dad's job. It is not your spouse's job. It is not your accountability partner's job or your discipler's job. It is your job. Now, we lean on each other, and that's part of where we're going in this message. We cannot make it alone, but I need you to know, first and foremost, that it is your job to play defense on your heart and to keep it for the Lord. Why? Because testing and temptation are what, church? Normal, thank you, and necessary. And I want to tell you why. I want you to flip to James 1. If you got your Bible or you're searching your phone, I want you to go to James 1. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to lay a foundation, a biblical theology, a theological foundation for testing trials and temptation. Why? Because I want you to be equipped to pass the test and win. Yeah. Okay? Listen. In the Greek, check this out. In James Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I want you to know that this word for trials means an experiment, an attempt. It means a, it's a trial, right? It's like in science, right? You, it's, you're, you're, you're testing something to see what it's made of, all right? And it is the, the Greek word, I'm just going to tell you a number. There's a purpose to this, so hang, hang in there with me. There's a strong concordance of Greek words, and this number for that word trial is 3986. Okay, just keep that in your mind, 3986. I want you to see something, that your testing produces something, okay? I know that we don't like tests, but can you just step in with me for a second and see that testing produces something, yeah. all right? Testing gives life to something that nothing else can. It produces something. All right, a little bit further down in James 1, keep with me here, okay? It says in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. There's that word again. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Why? Because testing produces something, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when, oh, we got a new word here. When he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now, would you agree that in the English language, the word trial and the word temptation to your English brain are two very different words, right? Okay, we'll keep going. Let no one say, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Well, where does my temptation come from? Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Here's what I want you to know. That word, the Greek word for tempted, is the Strong's number. Do y'all remember the first one? 3986. The Greek word for tempted is 3985. Can I tell you, the only difference is that one is the verb form and one is the noun verb form, okay? It is the same Greek word underneath trial and testing and underneath temptation. What is the point, okay? The, the only thing that distinguishes a test from a temptation, stay with me, is who is it coming from and why did they throw it at? Okay, listen to me. Fathers and teachers test their sons and their students. They put tests in front of them to give them opportunities to demonstrate obedience and to demonstrate how many college students in the room that you've learned the material. If you demonstrate through a test that you've learned the material and you pass the test, then was the test sent to destroy you? No, it was sent to do what? Advance you to the next class. So I want you to see this. Tests are necessary and normal for your advancement in life. Yeah. Yeah. And they are sent by fathers and teachers who are not trying to trip you up. They are trying 
to let you prove your maturity so that you can be advanced. I'm not going to give the keys to my truck to my 16-year-old son until he has passed driver's ed, passed the test, has got the paper in hand from the state that tested him that says he's ready to drive. Am I being such a mean father because I put a test in front of my son before I put him behind a powerful moving vehicle? No. I'm being a good father. That is providing appropriate tests so that he can advance. Now, Greek word's the same. Okay? Temptation doesn't come from the Father. We just read that, right? Temptation always comes from the enemy, and its purpose is not to advance you. Its purpose is actually to derail you and to destroy you. A test and a temptation can actually be testing the same spot in your heart. But one of them was sent from your enemy to derail you, and the other was allowed by your father so that you could pass the test. Now, I know this is getting a little muddy, but I want to tell you a couple of really encouraging things. Okay, number one is, Jesus went before you in all of this. Go to Luke chapter 4, all right? Go to Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Check this out in Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and he was, say it with me, led by the Spirit. Into the wilderness. Okay. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. Okay. Who is God? Okay. So God the Father, the Spirit of God, led Jesus into the wilderness. And for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Okay, wait, wait. Can we get this? Can we get a little bit more confused for a second before we get clear? Look at Matthew's version of this in Matthew 4. Check this out. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Wait, led by who? Spirit. Okay. Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, okay. You know the Lord's Prayer where we're supposed to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one, okay? Hey, maybe Jesus is throwing us a bone and saying, hey, hey, you don't want to have to go through that one, okay? Lord, are you with me? Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Look, guys, here's what I want you to see. The Spirit of God led Jesus into an intense wilderness test. The enemy took advantage of the test that was initiated by God and entered the place of his testing with what? Temptation. In the middle of his test from the Lord, he was tempted by the enemy. And yet Jesus, if you know the story well, three times clings to the word of God, pulls out the sword of the spirit, quotes Old Testament scripture straight to the face of his tempter until he leaves. He rejects the temptation. He passes the test. And at the end of the wilderness account, I don't know if you've ever caught this little verse in Luke chapter 4. At the end of the wilderness, listen to this. The devil departed from him. And Jesus returned 
from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. The upgrade in power. I I said that testing produces something in your life. The upgrade in power that came upon Jesus' life was precisely because he went through a test from the Father and was advanced on the other side of the wilderness into power. The enemy was right there to derail for good reason because Jesus walked out of the wilderness and started absolutely wrecking shop on the enemy's camp. Now, is that still a cool term? Probably not, okay? Back when I was in college in the early 2000s, it was, okay? What's, what, somebody tell me what's a cool phrase today for dominating the darkness, okay? I don't know, but all I know is, the, are you with me, church? Yeah. Every covenant was tested, including Jesus' Do you know that Hebrews 5 says it like this? Although he was a son, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became, somebody say became, he became the source of eternal salvation. Do you know that Jesus had to become Although he was a son, he had to become the savior of the world. I get it. I know the prophecies, Isaiah 9. I know that he was born the savior of the world. But unless I'm reading that wrong, he also had to become the savior of the world. Do you know how he became? Through testing. Was the testing sent from the enemy? test was from the Father to advance him with power. The enemy came right alongside it with temptation. Are you guys following with me? I, I hope that this will help us understand one really, really simple and critical piece tonight. We're, we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to start responding here in a minute. You can pass the test Look, you don't get to choose what your temptation looks like. But you do get to choose how you are going to respond. I want you to hear me on that. Every single one of us, remember, no temptation has overcome you but that which is common to man. Okay? Say it again. My temptations are common. I am not that special. Okay, listen. You don't get to choose how you were broken. And what tempts you? Some of you are struggling with things that I can never even understand because it's not my temptation. But I have temptations in my life and tests and trials in my life that you can never understand because it's not yours. But somebody gets it. What I want us to know here tonight is that the testing of our hearts before the Lord, it is normal. It is actually necessary. And here's the deal. You don't get to choose how you're tempted, 
but you do get to choose how you will respond. And so as we close, I just want to share a couple of scriptures real quick to help us pass the test. If we're going to ready the bride, church, this is, we've got to learn how to do this. Whose job is it to guard your heart? Whose job is it to guard your heart for the Lord, church? Look at your spouse if you're with your spouse and say, it's not your job to guard my relationship with God. Look at your roommate if you're with your roommate. Look at a friend. Look across the room at somebody that you asked to mentor you. Because, here, I'm going to push on something for a second. You asked somebody to mentor you or disciple you, which is very needed and necessary for a season. Okay? But you asked somebody to mentor you or disciple you because you are stuck in an area. And you think, maybe they can help me get through this temptation. And I'm telling you, it is not your mentor's job to guard your heart and pass the test for you. Jesus was in the wilderness alone, leaning on the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Church, nobody can pass the testing of your heart for you. Nobody can do it for Jesus, and nobody can do it for you. But look at me. You can pass the test. You can pass the test. Two scriptures, 1 Corinthians 10 12 through 13. 12 through 13. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We've been saying it all night. No temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you remember that James verse? That says the testing of your faith produces something. You know what it said it produced in James 1? Endurance. With the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Here's my hope tonight. I want to give you one more verse in a second. Some of you, I believe, are in this room and you have been fighting the same fight. You have been engaged in the same test. You have been battling the same temptation for way too long. And I want you to know this is not to condemn you. This is to speak life and faith over to you. I want you to know that you can pass that test. And I'm believing tonight that something is going to shift as we respond and as we pray in a minute here and as we worship. I want you to understand, I believe tonight that there are battles that you've been waging in this room for years. Tonight is your moment where you believe and, and, and actually are empowered to know that I can escape this temptation of my life. You can. Here's how you're going to do it, part of me. It's in 1 John chapter 1. I want you to stand up. Band, you can go ahead and come up here. I'm going to read this last verse here in a sec. But listen, if you're on our pastoral leadership team, you're one of our life group leaders, if you guys could just kind of scatter. Um, man, I don't necessarily want us to be right here up front and center. Maybe like over on this wall, some of our, our prayer team leaders, uh, life group leaders kind of on that wall. Don't be right in front of the speaker because that would be really hard. Um, maybe... 
back in this area, kind of by the, the white curtain over there. A couple of our prayer team leaders get over there. I just want you to know where these guys are in a minute because one of the keys to enduring temptation and passing the test, say pass the test. One of the keys to passing the test is walking in the light. We get that from 1 John chapter 1. One of the keys to passing your test is to drag your test out into the open and out of the dark hidden place where you've been fighting it alone. One of the keys to guard your heart from the Lord is to actually pull your struggle out into the open. And I will tell you, there are men in this room, one of them's right here in the front row, Blake Staley, there are brothers in my life that when I am tempted and tested, and believe me, just because I'm standing up here on the stage, like the lead pastor of some church, I've got a great, not perfect, but healthy marriage with a wonderful wife. Do you think I'm beyond the temptation? No. The same common temptation that you struggle with, I struggle with. Jesus struggled with. The only difference is, over time, I have believed that this verse right here is true. And I have learned to embarrass myself before my best friends. We call it walking in the light. This is a message we've heard from him. And we proclaim to you, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, oh, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I'm going to be vulnerable for a minute. I had a moment of temptation a couple weeks ago. A moment of temptation, a thought, remember it starts in the mind. A moment of temptation against my covenant with my wife. And a couple days later, I'm hanging out with one of my buddies. We're at the park with all of our kids. And he goes to leave, and as I somewhat regularly, I say, cool, man, I'm going to walk you to the car, to your car. That's code language for I'm about to confess some temptation to you, okay? Because I don't want my temptation to stay up here in my mind and simmer and fester and become a bigger deal. And so I walk him to the car, it took about 90 seconds, I said, dude, I had this horrible temptation the other day and I got to bring it out of the light, man. And he looked at me and he blessed me and he said, dude, given and covered by the blood of Jesus. That is not who you are. You are faithful to your wife, and you're a man after God's heart, dude. He gave me a hug. He threw his kids in the car. It was like that. I passed the test. Wasn't the first one. Not going to be the last one. And when we do that, and when we learn to walk in that place, in the light, Declaring 
that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we're going to sing out loud a song of celebration. And I want you to know tonight, if you came in, and you know that I was talking about you when I said you've been fighting the same fight for a long time. You've engaged in the same struggle for a long time. Look, I don't care how many times you've come forward for prayer and said, maybe this will be the day. I want you to know I really believe that today could be the day something breaks from you that you've been carrying for way too long. I believe today's a day of victory and freedom. So God, we just welcome your spirit into this place. We celebrate that we have been adopted and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We were a bride that was welcomed into covenant with you. And what did you do? You washed us from our past, God. You spoke the word over us and you made us white as snow. I believe that there are there are things in the room that you need to break with today. I don't know why God has been highlighting this, but there are things from your past that he wants to wipe away before he puts the anointing right on your head. He wants to wipe off the dirt of your past, and right in that place, he wants to anoint you with oil. I believe that there, God is inviting us to break with our past so that we can move into a new future with a whole heart for the Lord readying ourselves as his bride for a new season. Holy Spirit, would you show us, Lord, the things that you want to break us free from today. Jesus' name. Would you just begin to welcome the Holy Spirit? Maybe that you don't even know what that looks like, but I just want you to begin in your mind or with your words to just say this, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, have your way. Because the scripture says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what, church? Come on, somebody say it again. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we say, come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and bring freedom to the places that are in chains. Come and bring breakthrough to the places where we've been stuck. Lord, let walls fall down that have stood and been reinforced for too long. We say where the Spirit of the Lord is, church, there is freedom. 